So our sermon today is taken from Ephesians 1, 15 through 20. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thank you, brother. One of my favorite definitions for God comes from Anselm. You've heard me talk about this before, and I often talk about it as a way of thinking about God, a way of conceiving Him. But Anselm famously defined God in the ontological argument this way, God is that being greater than which none can be conceived. I'll say it again because it's a little bit uh, mouthful, a little bit of a, a head trip too. All right, God is that being greater than which none can be conceived. It's a rule. It's supposed to be an idea about how to think about God. So let's say, Carol, you have an idea of God in your mind, your imagination, or whatever it is you might have. At the moment at which you have it, rest assured, you're mistaken. Because he is greater than that. You have a conception of God, brother. I do. We all do. We all have working ideas about who God is and what he's like. But whatever the idea is, whatever, how, whatever grandeur you attach to it, whatever majesty, whatever, whatever power you imagine God has, you're, you're actually mistaken because he's greater than that. And we can continue to do this endlessly. In fact, this may well be, I think, the business of glory, I mean, the business of heaven, because the discovery doesn't stop. And because his majesty is, ine- is ineffable, ultimately, it can't be described, it is eternal, it is endless discovery. Wow. Now, the reason I bring all that up is that I, tonight I want to talk a little bit about Trinity. And I find Trinity, I find Trinity to be my least favorite thing to preach about. Now, I'm not, I don't know if I'm allowed to rank things or not in the kingdom, or describe, but I often find I don't really know what to do with the idea of Trinity. It's like, it's one of those things that's just like, it's this brute fact in the Bible. It's a brute fact of Scripture. It's a, it's a reality. And what, and what the Scriptures again and again in the, in the idea of God they present us to, with, they present God as Trinity, as triune. I would dare to say that eternity is Trinity. Eternity itself is Trinitarian in its essence, in its, in its, in its actual frame, its actual design. And it's not designed, it's eternal. There was no time when it was not, and no time when it will not be. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. But Trinity, Trinity, Trinity is a, I always feel a little tricky. I, you know, I could talk, you know, in philosophically, what you try to do in theology, you try to say, oh wait, there's two ways we talk about the Trinity. There's, there's what's called the ontological Trinity, or the Trinity in and of itself, himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, eternally. But that's really abstract. That's really out there. We don't know what, that, what those relationships even are. 
It was common sometimes to say that the Father begets the Son. You ever heard of this? And the, this, the, and the, and the Holy Spirit is begotten by the Father and the Son. It proceeds, preceding language. And these, are, and these are all wrestling. I mean, this was the wrestling of geniuses in the Greek world to try to see if there's some category, some way of existence we could talk about God's existence. But guess what? We fail over and over again. Trinity's a famous one. There's no... There's no there's no illustration in the Bible of Trinity, right? You've heard clo the clover leaf, free leaf clover, or the, or the egg, there's an egg, all these different images and, and metaphors, none of them are biblical. The Bible never attempts to try to explain God as Trinity. It doesn't really try to. And I don't know if I'm going to do any better. But the ontological Trinity, this idea of God's Trinity from eternity past, in His grandeur and His glory, well, we don't know what that trinity is, but we do know the trinity of space and time. And what we can see in the scriptures is an opening, a flowering, a growing, a progression of understanding God as triune. And the, way, the first way that God reveals himself, though, is in his unity. And this is all everywhere, all over the Bible. And by the way, with a text that we're really focused on here, it's right, it's only that one verse, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. There it is, bald, as it were, brutally put in the text. The whole trinity in one, in, one, in one quick verse. This entire passage, by the way, moves in a Trinitarian fashion. It begins by talking about Father, the Father, God, the Father. Then it continues to talk about God, the Son, and then ends with God, the Holy Spirit. Remember the seal? guaranteeing our inheritance. Everything has been bleeding Trinity. But again, this isn't, an old, this isn't as much of an Old Testament idea. And, and sometimes people have been upset with that or frustrated by it, or sometimes have despaired of understanding how Trinity uh, is in the Old Testament. We don't worry about that. Don't fret about it. The, the Trinity is in the Old Testament. It's buried, though. It's, it's, it's hidden in some ways. Uh, for example, there's a grammatical form in Hebrew, and if you've heard, heard this, there's a grammatical form in Hebrew called a plural of majesty. In other words, if you say something in the plural, you're not necessarily referring it to it in the plural. You could just, you could just refer, it could be a reference to something being very, very majestic. For example, the heavens are always in the plural. Why? Well, they're so big. They're so massive. They're so majestic. They're so exalted. The heavens are, it's always a plural word. Um, we do this in our language where uh, editors and kings uh, that call themselves what? We. That's, that. that's called the plural of majesty. It's a grammatical form. Well, it's the same thing happens, by the way, in your Bibles. Every time you use to see the word God in the Old Testament, it's actually in the plural. It's always in the plural. And in fact, because of that, sometimes when God acts, he will say things, or when he's self-talking to himself, he'll say, let us. Remember this? It's actually in the very, very beginning of the Bible. It says, let us make man in our image. All the language is plural. Now, now, I'm not saying that that is teaching anything about a trinity. I'm saying that the reality of trinity is still there, though. It's still buried. It's in the language. Our lang language itself can't contain the splendor of God. So it comes up with grammatical forms to do it. You see? But the Bible, the Old Testament, what happens in the Old Testament is kind of a riddle. It's a riddle, uh, it reminds me of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with a famous uh, teacher of, uh, of science. Uh, his name was Thomas Kuhn. He wrote a famous book called The Structure of Scientific 
revolutions. It was what he observed. In the history of man, you can look at this with Copernicus and Galileo and Einstein and Newton. In the history of humanity's discovery of the physical world, there have been ways of understanding it. And those ways that are developed by intelligent people start to fall, start to fray. All of a sudden, new data comes in. New data starts to come in that doesn't make any sense of the old idea. And the old idea has to be reworked and redesigned. For example, the old idea was that the Earth is the center of the universe. The Earth is the center of the universe. It was a theological concept. It's ethnocentric. We're, we're very ethnocentric in, in everything we think of, right? We are the center of the universe, and many of you still believe that to this day. I know I do. But, 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 but hear me here, that, that, the data didn't work. The movement of planets, the, the, the rising, it, that, it didn't work. The data just didn't work with that model. That model had to be discarded and jettisoned for a better model, for something that was more, made more sense of the data. The Old Testament does the same thing. There's all sorts of data that starts coming up. There's a person, like for the, the person of God. The person of God, let's take the, the eternal God. No man sees my face and lives. Fundamental, rock-solid theology of the Old Testament. You understand God? You can never, ever, under any circumstances, see him. It's an absolute statement, right? Then, Isaiah sees God. He sees somebody in the temple. High and lifted up, and the glory of his train, and he, Ezekiel sees somebody, and, he, and Ezekiel's struggling, and you can hear the struggle in his descriptions. He uses the word like a dozen times. <laughs> there was one like, and he had the appearance of something like burning fire, and then something like molten bronze, and something like a bright light, and something like a son of man, something like, like, like. Why does he use all that like language? Because he's having a theological crisis. Because he knows the fundamental truth. You do not perceive, you are not allowed to perceive God. How did Isaiah respond when he saw God? What did he say? What did he say? He knew his theology. What did he say? I'm dead. I'm about to die because I have seen God. A riddle is appearing in the Bible. A riddle. Who? Wait, wait. Can you see him or not? Can you see him or not? There's a riddle in the poetry. Sometimes David, in some ecstatic vision, he begins to say, he prays, and he says things like, the Lord said to my Lord. Now, Jesus noticed this. A lot of people notice this in history. That he alludes and begins to describe people that don't make any sense in the data. <laughs> the data, it just doesn't compute. Then comes along the Spirit of the Lord. The first time we meet the Spirit of the Lord, it's somebody who's a craftsman. He's how to make worked wood. And Bezalel and Holiab, they're craftsmen. He says the, whole, the Spirit of the Lord descended on them and gave them the ability to craft things and make them. And not just that ability, but the ability to teach others to do the same. <laughs> And all of a sudden, there's, a, there's an active spirit of the Lord. This, happens, this pops up in, uh, in Ezekiel. And then David prays, take not your Holy Spirit from me. There are riddles in the poetry, riddles in the stories, riddle, riddles in the worship. What's going on? All right, well, then you come to the New Testament. And the New Testament's remarkable in this. Je uh, right, 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 uh, right, right, Matthew 1. How, Matthew 1 doesn't even stop. How is it that Mary is able to have a baby? For that which was conceived in her will be what? By the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is like right there. Right? All, like, take it for granted almost. Uh, we, have, we, we, we go into the New Testament, and what erupts and what comes 
is this reality of Trinity. You can't get away from it. Every, every gospel starts with it. Why does every gospel start with it? Well, how was Christ baptized? What happens in his baptism? What happens? Somebody speaking, describing Jesus as his son, as the Spirit of God descends. And everywhere in the New Testament is now the announcement and the reality of a triune God. Now, I'm wondering, well, why the switch? <laughs> why the switch? Why, why with the advent of Christ is now Trinitarian center stage and, and necessary if we're going to understand the whole, the whole kit and caboodle? If we're going to get this, if we're going to know God, we must know him as Trinity. So why, why does it? And I think it does make sense. Because in, in Christ's coming, the Trinity, forever blessed, eternal, world without end, living in blessedness. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, eternal. God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. The second person we call him, Jesus, becomes a man. That, first of all, it's not possible. It doesn't make any sense. Does it? There's all sorts of problems right with that claim right there. But we can't even get to what that claim means if we don't, have, if we don't understand that God is Trinity. <laughs> because that, now it's necessary. Now, now in order to unpack all these beauties in the Old Testament, in order to unpack and show you how God functions and how you can interact, we need Trinity. We need to know God as he has revealed himself. And it's funny, the thing about Trinity is nobody could discover it, right? It's not something you come up with in your own head, is it? It doesn't even sound like the creation of a person. Because knowledge of God is not something we create or discover. It's not something we invent. Knowing God has to come from him. And so, I'm asking God tonight, I'm asking God to reveal his trinity to you. That's been my prayer all day. You know, as I was praying about this, I think of... I'm asking for the ability to, the ability to communicate Trinity, to, and to, the idea of God as Trinity, and to call you into worship and into, into obedience, into life in it. And I, I'm just praying for that. Now, luckily, let's begin with our text, right? That's exactly what Paul is praying for as well, isn't it? Take a look at it. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. And he knows these Ephesians, and he's so excited about their faith, and I know I know almost all of you in this room, I know the report of a living faith, and I'm thankful for it. But it's funny, knowing about that faith causes unceasing prayer. You see the unceasingness right there? For this reason, I don't stop. And sometimes you think, well, I finally prayed that person into heaven. I can be done. Paul doesn't even think like that, does he? In fact, it almost sounds like he's just beginning now in earnest prayer because it's just beginning now because you need God to act for you to move towards him and knowing him and understanding who he is. So right out of the gate, look, if Paul's going to pray as he writes it, you better darn well be praying while I'm talking. And you should be praying that I can preach it and speak it well, and your own heart will understand it more deeply and more fully. Because this is an adventure that ain't going anywhere if God isn't taking us along for the ride. Amen? <laughs> we have to be taken along for the ride. And that's, it's funny, the Trinitarian formula comes up here as the form of his prayer. I ask God, the, I ask the God 
of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he may give you the Spirit. Do you hear all that, Trent? Do you hear all that? And and something about Paul here. He thinks and he believes and he wants you to get a picture that you need all that God is for a complete restoration of all that you are and could be. We need all that God is. To hope in our hope in our hope in our salvation. That's pretty amazing. He knows as a prayer, as a man praying, he needs all that God is to hope for his people to know God better. That's how useful this Trinitarian vision, this Trinitarian knowledge is to him. That's wonderful. All right, I want to get in on that. Now, I don't know how to. This is, by the way, this, this, is where, this, is where, this is where the frustration starts for me. Okay, let's go. We're, let's go. Let's talk about Trinity. Who do I start with? Who do I start with? All right, well, it, 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 it's kind of it's difficult. Well, look at the prayer. All right, he, he's, he's asking God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give us. Now, all right, so wait, you need the Holy Spirit to know Jesus. And you need Jesus to know the Father. And you need to know the Father to ask for the Holy Spirit. And you need the Holy Spirit in order to know who Jesus is so you can go and ask the Father. I'm telling you, it's very, very tight. (laughs) It's very, it's locked in on itself. How do you get into that? Seriously, how do you get into that? How do you penetrate that? You need the Holy Spirit to know who the Son is. You need the Son to be able to even talk to the Father. So how do you get in? You need the Father to choose you. Well, how do you the Father choose you? How do you it, it's like the ultimate inner circle, in one sense. You know, it's funny. Um, I don't know if Paul means this or not, but somebody outside needs to kind of invite you in. And I, I can't help but wonder if Paul's earnestness is that he knows a part of his role and part of your role with and in the triune God is to be praying for people to be able to get in with you. <laughs> to get into this place you're standing. To get into this place of privilege, love, joy, and eternal life and grace unmeasurable for you and me. This wonderful context of the Trinity. How do you get into there? Well, it seems to me that Paul's pretty certain that one of the ways you do is by praying for folks. That that breaks open this, this, sanct, this, this sacred, holy place that God has in and of himself. All right, so look, you know how you listen to a sermon? You know how you listen to a sermon well? I don't know if ever trained you to do this. The way you listen to a sermon well is to pray for the preacher and pray for your heart and pray for those around you the entire time. Because that's what we need. And since we need the Holy Spirit so much, that's where I'm going to start, because I don't know where else to start. I've got to start somewhere. So let's begin with the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work we need tonight, and that's the work I'm working, I'm running out the gate with. The spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. How are we going to get started? Where are we going to begin? You know, there's funny, um, one of the great things about inviting you to this first place, to write to the feet of the Holy Spirit, is, is to get you into a place where where you are finally humbly, I don't care how long you've known Jesus or what you think you know, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant, because God is that big. Is, is to be in a place of, help me to begin, to begin.
You ever been there? Sometimes you just need, I, sometimes that's, getting the, getting the engine started helped me to, you know all that happened, right? Trying to get the engines, the engine to turn over. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. So one of the things you can start praying right now for your heart, help me to begin to begin to be a Christian. Help me to begin to begin to really chase God. Help me to begin to begin. Because a lot of us get frozen right there, don't we? I know I was frozen even preparing the message. All this Trinitarian language and Trinitarian understanding, I feel like my head starts swimming and I I just want to run away. (laughs) I want to run away because I want this to work in my head. I want to be able to get my hands around God. I want to put God on a pin so I can taxonomically label him so he can stay in place. Isn't that what you want? We all want that. Praise him that he doesn't permit that. He doesn't permit us to do that, does he? Because his greatness forbids it. But so we're trying to get our heads around God. We're trying to get our hearts around him. So let us begin now humbly praying for the Holy Spirit. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Well, because, we, because we're, so, we're such knuckleheads when it comes to this stuff. What do I mean? You know, it's funny, until I went to seminary, I was called a modal view of the Trinity. I didn't even realize it until, until a professor sat down and explained it to me. What does that mean? There's an idea of God that's very popular in our age where the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are like three gears, and God just picks a gear, <laughs> and he goes into gear, and he has a mode, maybe like three faces, you know, you can picture, you can picture like a visualization of this. Like God just has three different ways he interacts with humans. And he kind of puts on his Jesus face or his Father face or his Holy Spirit face. And those are the modes that God works in across space and time. That is a hideous lie. It is not true. It is false. It is not biblical. It does not respect or understand or even engage in what Paul's talking about here. That's not even possible in this. Otherwise, God would just be schizophrenically weird, right? Well, if one part of them's talking to another part of them, they could... that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. We need the Holy Spirit to guard us against weird models we come up with. What's another one? Many gods. This is another popular one with the, with the cults. Well, all right, we've, we've, all right, we get to Jesus as God, and there's God the Father, and then, well, maybe I'm going to be God today. Oh, yeah, that's, I'm going to be God. I'm going to have my own planet and tons of wives, or who knows what. I, there's so many permutations of how crazy these things get. They, they're real, though. They're out there. And what are they all departures from? They're all departures from the spirit of wisdom and revelation is what they're, they're departures from. For the spirit speaks through the Bible. That's what that revelation concept is. And what the spirit does is he continues to renew, re, I'm sorry, reveal to the church across space and time the reality that if you would understand his eternity, you must name him as Trinity, as Father, as Son, as Holy Spirit. Three gods. Three, one, per, three, one God, three persons. See, I, I just made the mistake in my head. I just, I just committed heresy while I was preaching. Don't you, any of you make a meme out of that part of the message and, uh, and, and mock me. No, there's something beautiful here. We have this idea that the Holy Spirit protects us from false models and false views and how desperately we need him. But I, I was sharing this morning, I shared this with you, a lot of you, how profound my failure was in my first church. I, we really giving the church to a conceited 28-year-old graduate from seminary is an hideous mistake. Yeah, and, but, but we do it. We do it all the time. And uh, I didn't yet know how powerful God was. He hadn't really spoken deeply into my heart like he was about to do at that point in my life. So I was in that help me begin stage. But you know what's funny? 
um, this idea of the Holy Spirit being the spirit of wisdom and revelation, I want to encourage you to constantly be crying out for the work of the Spirit. That's essentially what Paul's doing here. There's an ongoing, passionate, continual work of the Holy Spirit I want us to get excited about. You know, if you know, classically in, in the Presbyterian and Reformed tradition, we're called the frozen chosen. You know, we're called the ones that, you know, the, and, and, that, and that's an awful mistake because if we believe God is sovereign, then the Spirit must be sovereign, right? He must be as sovereign as God the Father. And so we forget that we need His sovereign work in everything. But you know, what I was reminded of is this, is that I just want us, in staying plugged into the Scriptures, one way to stay plugged into the Holy Spirit, crying out for the Holy Spirit the way Paul is doing here, and the work of the Holy Spirit, that's a part of it, asking God for this work. What I'm reminded of is, uh, many of you know that I was raised by wolves, right? Many of you know I was raised in the woods by crazed hippies, okay? And, and there's a lot of great stories about that, a lot of good stories. But one of the worst products of that as an adult has been my inability to even formulate or execute a simple plan. Isn't that correct, honey? Isn't that? Yeah, there you go. So my wife, so my wife, my wife knows this. She can bear testimony to it. You know, it's funny, though, the other day I caught myself very carefully. I do this every day. Oh, it's sundown. I find my phone. I make sure it's plugged in for the next day. I often will find my earbuds, ear pads, your ear, earbuds. I, I always plug those in. I always plug in my computer. And what I noticed was, here I, here, is a, here I am as an adult male, unable to form ordinary plans to get by in life, but I am meticulously planned the power source for my, devi my devices. Tells you something, doesn't it? It tells me that I can take a lesson about this spiritually. There's a need to constantly, constantly reconnect with God. In the time, a period of time when I was a young pastor and I found myself failing so miserably, I had been taught to simply cry out for the Holy Spirit. And I did that every day for uh, a couple of years, wondering if I would ever have an experience of God, wondering if I was just going to go crazy and leave the ministry. But God heard that prayer for the Holy Spirit. It's one of the ones he says he promises, remember? He gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Make it part of the bedrock and the cornerstone of your life and your attempts to know and know, know and be known by God. We need the work of the Holy Spirit, the work of wisdom and revelation. So God, so, so uh, where, where do we go from here? I had notes on this. Um, so we need the Holy Spirit to reveal this God to us. So how do we get the Spirit? Well, how, where does Paul take us? He goes to God the Father. What does he call God the Father? He uses two names for God the Father there. Two of them, they're, very, they're, they're both actually fairly unusual. Well, one I, I didn't understand until this, this week. Boy, it's really amazing how, how, how as a pastor, I, I can find I, I discover new things. And I, I, it just encourages me to encourage you to be in your scriptures. There's so much to learn. There's so much I didn't understand. But the first, one of the names, the first name he uses for God, he called he calls him the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you notice that? That turn of phrase in the, in the text? That's an odd name. We're going to talk about the oddness of that name shortly because that name, is, that name is so strange. But I didn't realize that God has always been a God of. What was his Old Testament name? Does anybody remember? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Moses sometimes. 
the God, the God of Israel. What's his name now? He's the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, that's the current name. That's the living name now. That's the historical reference point. It's no longer Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For they died and will one day be risen from the dead in the last day. But one, a new one has come who's, who now lives. And so, he is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can God be God to himself? Of course he can. Who else could he be God to? God is obviously God to himself. He even can swear by himself, as we learn in, as we learn in Hebrews. That wonderful thing about Melchizedek. But this idea, though, he calls himself this, and, and he owns himself as this isn't the God of any other person. Now, this is some of the exclusivity of God. This is not, God, God can't be mixed and matched with other religions when he defines himself like this, can he? But then he goes on, I don't want to tarry over that, he goes on, though, to call him the Father of Glory. Do you see it? That's a wonder, isn't that a wonderful name for God? God the Father, the Father of Glory. And here we are, we're presenting, how do you get the Holy Spirit? Paul knows you go and ask the Father, the Father of Glory. Why? What has the Father been doing in this whole text the whole time? He is the predestined eternal one who before time was time, before space and time existed, set his love on Caroline with eternal passion. And on Caroline, he chose us, did the choosing. This is the God of, this is the God of majesty and glory. What is glory? I can't. I don't know how to define glory. Sometimes glory can be a reputation, and that's why when we praise him, we glorify his name. But when Isaiah sees his glory, his glory is like a shimmering, incandescent, burning air. To say God is a God of glory is to reach into his incandescent, indescribable personhood. Wow, that's the God of glory. It does that. But it's how does he glorify himself? He glorifies himself by being the God who chooses. God who makes his choices in the world. The God whose choices determined the structure of atomic things. And what I'm going to say in my next sentence. And what Biden will choose to do. And what Putin will choose to do. He is, it is his eternal glory. That not a sparrow falls apart from the will of our Father. Praise him. All right, what do we do with this God, this part of God? Well, the first thing I think of is worship. I think of, you know, there's something about God where he always says, I don't think the way you think. In fact, it's not just that I don't, I think a different kind of thought than you think. Praise him. His ways are beyond searching out. Adore him. This is, this is God most high where if we haven't thought to ask, we, to, to beg for knowledge of him, we would beg for it now, having a merest inkling of what his glory must be. And what is his glory? It's to love sinners like you and me and to send his son to die for them, to choose these things for us, to choose to love us, knowing that that choice full well, full meant the death of his own son. He is the God, the electing, choosing God. This is his majesty and nobody can take it from him. Praise him. What do you do with such for such a God? And you've heard me say this before, but I don't know what else to do before this God, but go, choose me. <laughs> Pick me. 
I, I don't understand how you work. I do not understand how God works. I do not understand it. I cannot, and I will not apologize for it, but I will tell you this. He, he loves those who say, pick me. Let me, here am I. Send me, says, says Isaiah. And the only way to encounter the majesty of this God is on your knees in worship, crying out for him to choose you and the people you love. All right. I still, we can still keep bumping the question. For, all right. How do we get the Holy Spirit? We ask the Father. How do we ever get to ask such a God for anything? We raise our hands, choose me. We don't even know what we're being chosen for. And then comes our Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, in Jesus now, as the God-man, he's not an avatar. You, we know what avatars are now, right? You know, an avatar, actually, that word actually comes from uh, Hindu. And it's a word, it was a word used to actually describe when, uh, when Vishnu or Brahma, when they would become a human. But they never became a human. They would simply put on a man suit, a man outfit. They would appear as human. This is an early theory about Jesus. He was an, it was an early heresy that Jesus simply appears, called asceticism. He appeared to be a man. He wasn't actually a man. Gods don't actually become men. That's absurd. This is going back to the people who believed that there were gods in the world. Now, the absurdity has only increased. Now, look, if you're, if you're a polytheistic and, and you're trying to understand how a god truly would even want to become a man, you can't get your head around it. When I, when I stare up at what science has revealed, a universe 93 billion light years across as it's observable, billions of years old, and you're here to tell me that on this dusty little world, that the god who made all that chose to become like us in a smidgen of time to love us when we didn't love him. What? Yes. Why does the New Testament start right out the gate, full tilt, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Because God had initiated an actual change in himself. Who knows no change? God, the Son, had become man. Like, really become man. Like, really like one of us. Not like one of us. Really one of us. <laughs> we don't say that God... Um, the, 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 there's three words used in the, Nicene, in the Nicene Creed. Without composition, confusion, or what's the third one, Chris? Oh, shoot, I shouldn't, even, I shouldn't have acted so smart, should I? You know, confusion, anyway, the idea there is, is that, that there's no compromise. It's not like he's a divine human. No, 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 no. He is fully God, fully man. <laughs> it's not God trying on a man suit. No, he is fully God and fully man, one person. Well, a lot of times, and I'm about to do this, I love to get excited because of how that invites you and me. Of course it does. It does, yes, 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 yes. And we'll get to that in one second. But on the God side, it changes everything. If we, if we read this text here, it goes on. It just keeps going on. He gave him every name above every name. Every name, every foot will bow. All things in heaven and earth under him. He fills all of it. Because all this expanded, exalted language about how Christ is more. And, and the point being, 
Because this new Lord Jesus Christ is a whole new thing in the universe and even in God. And I have no way, I don't even have, I don't, you have to understand something. The human mind doesn't have a position from which to evaluate this, judge this, describe it, or somehow tell you what it really means. <laughs> because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but it's the truth of love. The truth of this God's choices and his plans to love us. And that's why, again and again, I, I, I invite you to know Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ now is you're stepping into the inner circle. You see, if Christ in his flesh is enthroned, then Tim in that flesh, yes, even in this, is enthroned. And the hope and possibility of what it means to have flesh is now uncorked. I'm telling you, there is no, there is no telling what, 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 what's possible even in this room. Because human flesh has been exalted to the highest place. Praise him. And it only follows that your flesh and my flesh has a hope. And my dad's dying flesh has hope. And it's like, yes, yes. And what happens here? Well, haven't you, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've, I, most of my life I've experienced as an outsider. Somebody who didn't quite fit in. Somebody who, who, who exists in the margins. Somebody who comes from outside. I'm the ultimate insider when it comes to God. And so are you. There is no secret place where... Remember, remember that? Remember that? Remember that? Uh, remember the song? I want to be in the room where it happens. The room where it happens. You know, the song from Hamilton? Can you be in the... That's what the Trinity is telling you. You are in the room where it happens where the one who chooses listens to what Carol wants in his choices. Praise him. Do you want to understand it? Well, you're going to have to wait till heaven because I have no means by which to explain it to you. I only proclaim it as true because the Holy Spirit revealed it. Oh, it gets better and better. You know, it's funny when I was reading this, you know what my first note was on this? When I first read this passage, I asked the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, to give you the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You know what I kept thinking? It's funny about this. It almost sounds like you're working a room. You know? it doesn't it sound a little bit like you're working a room? Well, I gotta ask you, I gotta ask the that God, the Father, so I can get the Holy Spirit, so I can, so He'll give me Jesus. It's like we're working a room. That's, that's what it sounds like Paul's doing. And I love that idea that we're working the room of heaven. Because that's it. That, and and as, as, as unceremonious and as kind of irreverent as that sounds, that's what's being given. Grace is irreverent. It doesn't make any sense. And this is one of those beautiful places where it shines. God has said to you, one of the reasons San Francisco is where it is, and you're where you are, your pastor's stuck where he is, or whatever. There's a, there's a, there's a reason for... You haven't worked the room. You're not working the room I've invited you into. Yeah, you, you and me. Go to the Father, ask Him for the Spirit to give you the Son so you can grow in knowledge of Him. Why? Because when that happens, 
you're going to be able to ask more for God to give you the Spirit. Because <laughs> you'll understand now how desperately you need the Spirit. The Spirit will continue to expand the glories of Jesus so you fall in love again, or maybe fall in love for the first time, and then, oh, praise Him. He, what is, where does Jesus take you? Right to His dad. Right to the throne. Work the room, people. <laughs> as irreverent as that, what else are we doing with the blood of Jesus? The one who saves us from our sin. You know, it's funny, I said that idea that we can't pin God down. That's, that's a line from the love song of J.F. Prufrock, right? They're wriggling upon a pin, sprawled upon a wall. We're taxonomical. We like to label things and know them, right? Can't do that to God. But as I was thinking on that, Jesus was pierced, wasn't he? Jesus allowed himself to be dissected. He allowed himself to be known in that way. Yeah? To do what? Save us. He was set wriggling on a cross. Because we thought we knew who he was. And we had no idea. We had crucified the Lord of glory who triumphed over death like it was walking across the room. Praise him. Such a God. You see, what's, what's interesting, this is, what, what, what Paul seems to be doing here, and I, I, what I'm inviting you into, and I hope you get excited about, is this idea that, is, is this, is this astounding grace has been made known to us. And, and yet we, 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 we're, 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 we're futzing. We're, we're not, we're not, I can't get people to pray with me half the time. I, half the time we're not, we're not engaged. And, I, and, I, and I, it breaks my heart. I even want to see it myself. I'm not living in this. I'm not, I'm not living like I've been beckoned into the room the way I have been. And work in that room for what is mine and yours. I just, I guess what I, my heart's hungry for is to see a turnaround amongst us all. A real turnaround. A real, a real desi- a new desire for these things. A new hope that they could be true and real. Um, and I, um, I guess what I'm going to have to do is, I, I, you know, I, you know, you know what, I'm going to praise him for this. I don't have to believe in you guys, do I? I don't even have to believe in me. I can believe in my God and look at everything he gives me and you and us together. Praise him. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, do you hear us? I don't know where all the voices in our hearts are tonight. I I, I just have no idea. I I don't even know if the things I I should make sense, Father, but I, I know you can do this. I know you do it by the Holy Spirit. I know I'm just going to keep asking, Father. I come to you, Father of glory. And I plead for these folks, each by name in my heart. I pray as I plead over them. I ask for even our guest, even though I don't know his name, I pray, Father, for you to pour out the Spirit, double portion, shaken, running over, dripping all over us. Young Holy Spirit with wisdom and revelation, We ask that, Father. Come and glorify yourself. Give us the Spirit. 
so we can fall more and more madly in love with the Son, your Son, our Lord, Jesus. We thank you for revealing yourself to us the way you do. In Jesus' name, amen.